0: Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is in conversation with Patrick Urban, president
1: of MERS Aesthetic North America. All right, welcome everybody. This is Alex Tiersch. Welcome to Medical Spa Insider. And today we are uh, very, very pleased and very lucky to have Patrick Urban, the president of MERS North America, MERS Aesthetics North America. Um for those of you listening, obviously MERS is is one of the top manufacturers of aesthetic injectable, um aesthetic injectables in the uh, in in the industry, certainly worldwide. They've got Xeomin, which is a neuromodulator, um they've got Radius, Bolitero, some other things. All therapy is another one that you all might um might recognize. Um Patrick has been has been nice enough with his time to come on and talk to a little bit a little bit to us about the industry at large, what he's seeing, what, where things are going, um, and and some things specific to that. So first of all, Patrick, I appreciate you joining me. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much, Alex. Good to see you again. Always well, I, good to spend time with
1: you. A- absolutely. So um, <clears throat> I, I was we were chatting before we 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 hit record here, and and I know there are some folks right now driving in their car. Um, who know all about um, aesthetics and they know some of the different products, um, but maybe don't don't know about MERS because a lot of them are just getting into this, and, and I know a lot of folks do. Um, I I just named off some of your products, but but um, talk to me a little bit real quickly as to what you know what folks should know about MERS.
0: Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. MERS is you you did a. a- Great job, by the way, Uh, (laughs) highlighting the portfolio. Uh, The only only thing we we add to all the great stuff you mentioned is Neocutis. So we also have that skincare line, Neocutis. So it's got – it's really – so when you think about MERS – the, the, the areas of differentiation are as follows, pretty nice, comprehensive portfolio, as you just uh, mentioned, containing injectables, devices and the formable therapy and a partnership with a company called Salt Facial. So we also yeah. sort of act as the distributor of the sales arm for, for the Salt Facial device and then, and then Neocutis. But on top of that, I think it's also important to mention that MERS is a 113-year-old, family-owned, privately held company. So, unlike many, and it doesn't make it good or bad, it's just different, right? Right, uh, right? Unlike many of the other companies that work in our space and compete in our space, particularly in the portfolio, injectable skincare slash fronts, those are largely either publicly traded companies or they may be owned by a private equity group that's right. looking for an exit, right? right. So, so, MERS has for 113 years resisted. That strategy, right, and 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 I think it's because there's just this heritage to it, yeah. uh, Like many of our personal families, that that believe that certain things should transcend and be passed down from one generation to the next. And so this family believes that the next generation of shareholders, the up and coming group, is going to then be good stewards of this business for the next twenty or thirty years, and so forth and so on. So that's how it has progressed. That's really what makes us different. I always like to say it this way. And again, I don't mean I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying. It is not. We are not at all confused with who we serve. We serve the end consumer and the practitioners that place their trust in us, and we do that exclusively because there's no Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, or anybody else telling me, telling us what we've got to do.
1: Yeah, and 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 you know, Patrick, I, I think I'm glad you led with that because it, it is an interesting point and, and one that is that is different. And you started to talk about it with you. You know, you don't have. Shareholders, you're not following stock indices to 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 make decisions, uh, and, and being a hundred plus years of a private owned company that that in a family owned company that is is not is pretty rare nowadays. I would I would think. What's the um, advantage? Like w- w- when you operate in your space, what do you feel the advantages are to be to being privately held as opposed to a public company?
0: Yeah, I think the I think it comes down to. Because obviously we still have people we serve, right? It's, it's it's just that they're not necessarily Wall Street and they're not setting our numbers for all to see. And, and they're not so quarterly focused. So therein yeah. lies one of the key Absolutely. advantages, right? That you can uh, – we like to talk as we as we get into life a little bit about playing the long game, right? Not everything will come to us today. But if we're patient and if we follow a good goal-oriented path. Those things may come to us in the future. We can play the long game to get where we want to go. I think at a a family owned, privately held company, you have a better chance of playing the long game. It is not so quarter by quarter by quarter based. It can be two years at a time, five years at a time. Where do we want to be? How do we want to grow? Now, everyone does five year strat plan, but you measure that in some places, you measure that quarterly or else. And in other places, you you sort of can take your time to build how you want to build it, so you build it the right way. I feel a freedom to do that, yeah. At Merce, so I think that's one of the key the key advantages that that offers. And maybe the other is, and it, it's you know, in the end, companies are are a product of the people who work there, right? That's right. I always think that's right. people are it; they're the brand ambassadors for any brand, any company. So I don't. There's good people on all sides of this in every in every company, whether private nor public. But but in the end, I think. When you're living in a family environment and not subject to those short term needs, you can be closer aligned to what is mostly family businesses in the medical aesthetics arena. Right. A lot of times these are family businesses. These are not always corporate structures unless they've done a P.E. roll up or something like that. So I think it helps us be in tune, more in tune with the growth prospects and the long game that the spas may need to play in terms of getting to their long term objectives as
1: well. I think that's um, I think that's really astute, and and I um, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because I could probably talk to you for for hours and hours. But I would love at some point. I mean, it's it's such an interesting dynamic that especially nowadays in the days of roll ups and private equity and mergers and acquisitions, especially in aesthetics, where we're seeing so much money coming in on the investment side, um, to have remained a private family owned company for as long as you have is 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 a remarkable achievement. And I I, I would be curious at some point. Um, you know, to figure out, you know, what's been the resistance to that? What, what is, 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 is it, is it purely because you, um, the, the folks at Merge want to have it in the family? And again, I'm not putting you on the spot here. I know this is not your decision necessarily, but, uh, I was just, um, i um, it's, it's an interesting dynamic that you've, that you've got there. And I've always found that it's, it, again, not positive or negative. It's just different, but I, I definitely like what you're saying as far as how it puts you in line with, um, Kind of mom and pop owned family-owned businesses because that's really what this industry is made up of at this point.
0: Yeah, it's exactly right, and I think you know just the the, the, the quick answer, and we can certainly you know dive into it in the future even further. Yeah. But I think the quick answer is that it, it it's how it's legacy is an interesting thing, you know, and when you're and yeah. when you're handed a legacy to to hold. Uh, Different families in different areas are going to do different things with that legacy. Right. And and in some cases, whatever it may have been, it may turn into a publicly traded entity that reaches the masses. And that's not a bad thing. But here, I think that that foundation of family was so strong. And the legacy established by Friedrich Meritz in the early days, 113 plus years ago, was so strong. That it forced the next generation and every generation thereafter to say, this is something we want to hand off. This is something we want our children to grow up in. They don't have to work here. They don't even have to care. But if they want to, we want them to. We want them to have that opportunity. And so, like, for example, there's a younger generation right now at MERS that is forced that they have to do an internship within the company. They don't have to stay. They don't have to play here long term. But they have to understand the family business and the legacy so that they can still protect it uh, as a shareholder. So that's really important. And then this group of new individuals, I'll call them, the new generation of ownership, you know, they challenge us who've been around for a while to think differently, right? They, they, they tell us the things that are important to them, like su- things like sustainability. And they hold us accountable by saying, and they hold their own family members accountable by saying, yeah, give us a plan for sustainability. Don't just tell us you're on it. Show us a plan. This is the younger generation telling the the, the older generation, "Hey, come on, this stuff's important today." Yeah. So I love that. I think that's a great dynamic for us.
1: I think it's cool. I think that's really cool. Um, and again, I think that's it's probably a story for another time. Um, yeah. But the fact that you've got interns that that, that need to, to to work at the at the business to understand that I think is 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 a cool concept. Um, one of the reasons that we wanted to have you and, and and I love talking to folks like you is because you've got such a um, a macro view of the industry. I mean, MERS. Um, is, is one of the, the, the big players in the industry as far as, uh, what folks are, who folks are buying from, not only in America, but worldwide. And, and it's always interesting to get your perspective as far as what this industry is doing, where it's going. There's been a lot of choppiness as far as the economy goes. Um, certainly over the past 10, 15 years, there's been ups and downs in, in, in the economy and, and everything else. But this industry, and I'm talking about med spas in specific, just keeps to Keeps plowing along, and it keeps growing and growing and uh, expanding and adding in new people and new players. Um, what's your view of of the aesthetic industry right now from your level, and 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 what what role does do you see MERS playing in that in in, in the future?
0: So I think that first of all, I'm very uh, I, I agree with everything that you said about about what we've seen historically, and even and even a little bit of choppiness now, depending on. What data points we want to pay right. attention to, or where we get that data? Right. I mean, if you talk, yeah. if you look, look on the TV for too long, you'll you'll leave depressed and a real hurt. Oh my god, I did. I was on driving
1: to cool. my car today, and I was like, "What the hell? I, I thought we were yeah. like in Mad Max times." Like, it's yeah, well, bonkers. They, they
0: could make you feel that way. They're very good at that. Uh, but because, <laughs> but, but in the end, uh, first of all, I, I reject most of that by the way, and I, and I remain extremely bullish and optimistic about where our industry is going and the underlying fundamentals that are taking it there. And I think that's important to say. Through, through good and bad times, no matter when we historically look at this industry, uh, we have stood the test of time, even in down markets, even in recessionary climates. We have held our own, done well, perhaps not grown exponentially, but we haven't lost ground. Mm -hmm. And we tend to then grow exponentially on the rebound. We saw that in the pandemic, but we certainly saw it back in 08. We saw it in other time frames that we could choose to measure uh, here across the aesthetics uh, platform. So I feel very bullish, very optimistic about where we're going. I think, yes, we could have a little bit of a temporary sort of treading water, if you will, because we, like I talked to a bunch of of folks just this weekend, uh, advanced practitioners who who joined us at a a summit meeting, and, and they were just an amazing group of people who were so transparent about what they were experiencing and so willing to help one another through these times and i would say if i were to summarize all that it was we're not really seeing a slowdown in patients coming Mm -hmm. we might see a slowdown in their willingness to spend once they're here for now but Mm -hmm. but we believe there's things we can do to get that spend to occur as we move into next year and so forth so i think that's the general sentiment as a company we think we can do a couple of things to help that number one Um, continue to have one of the most aggressive loyalty programs in our business, which provides the right level of discounting uh, Mm -hmm. right off the bat for tiers. For the lowest commitment in the tier, you get the highest levels of discount by percentage with MERS products. And when you use a portfolio of products, you get the highest level of rebate all the way back to the first dollar you spend. That helps practices. That helps practices in their margins during tough times. It helps during all times, but it's certainly an extra help. During tougher times. So, we continue to offer that. We've expanded our consumer loyalty, the patient loyalty aspect of our program through what we call our Experience Plus program. Mm -hmm. That's been completely revamped to be what customers wanted, what practitioners wanted. We did not have a program that was as robust as we'd have liked it to be, and it wasn't as quick for Mm -hmm. a customer to implement on the spot. It now is. Uh, and it, it it can be considered now a best in class program that we have relaunched, and the whole portfolio is involved. It used to be just our toxin was involved in that program, but now the whole portfolio is involved, and, and patients or consumers can use those points across a variety of elements. Uh, and the other thing is, we are the only right now the only program that offers extra points for returning to the provider who put you on the product in the first place. Really? So we try to keep patients loyal, not just to brand. More importantly, to practitioner, to provider, uh, to make sure that that loyalty equation is is uh, is intact.
1: In that's interesting. So it's 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 a way to tie in the the patient to the provider that made the initial recommendation to go with whether it's Zemint or whatever it is. Exactly. Wow, that's exactly. that's that's yeah. that's different. And I think um, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, it's um, I can't imagine how you you know the the algorithms that go into tracking all that stuff have got to make your head spin. But it's got to be a cool program.
0: It's it's a it's a it's a really good program and it's something that people have asked over time, you know. Right. Most of the time we talk about the word loyalty and and the next a lot in our in our industry as you know. But the next obvious question is to whom? Yeah. Right? To whom are yeah. we building said loyalty, right? And so what what we like to say is of course we're we're in it for ourselves too. Yes, we'd like to build loyalty to our company or our products, of course, fully transparent obviously. But It should at least be in partnership with loyalty to the practitioners uh, that have made this happen.
1: I think that's um, I think that's uh, very intuitive and and very smart, and really, um, again, very much in tune with how this industry operates. You know, we see, and I'm sure you see this too, so much investment money. I I mean, I'm talking to different. Um, private equity groups seemingly every day who want to know more about the industry. And the one thing they're always asking about is, is, is how do, because they, they want to grow these massive brands, but really it comes down to individual patients and where, and where they want to go, who they want to go to. And that is the provider, right? It's always leads back to the provider and the provider is the one that the patient has the relationship with. They're the one that they trust. And that's where everything flows. So I think, I think what you guys are doing, um, with that is, 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 is really cool. All right. Um, I want to. One of the things that we reasons that we wanted to to, to bring you on and, ch- and chat about is is we um, here at Ames, but we did relatively recently. We did a kind of an industry study, not kind of an industry. We did an industry study, and as part of that, we learned um, that 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 MERS has also been in kind of starting the process of really gathering data and learning more about what folks on the consumer level are doing, what their what their um, journey is, what what the process is. Um, and. and- you all have relatively recently instituted a, um, a new way of tracking data on the consumer level, which, um, we think is really cool because it provides all sorts of interesting data. I always love again talking to, to folks like you because the amount of information that you get from the consumer side is something that frankly, we really don't ever have a chance to get because we're not consumer facing. We're, 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 we're B2B, but you guys do get a lot of that information. Let's uh, first of all, explain to me what this, uh, the, the, the system is um, and, and how it was implemented and, and why it was implemented, and then we'll get into some of the things that you found.
0: Absolutely. So this is really a um, the particular pieces of data that we're talking about are really point of sale transactional data right. that are collected from through a third party from thousands of practices across the country, some of which, many of which are med spas, but not all of which are med spas. Right. Okay. So that so that way you're getting various environments and collecting the data from the consumers. What is being sold out off the shelves to the consumer? What are the consumers going home with at these various practices all across the country? Compiled, not specific uh, HIPAA-level data, right? It's very HIPAA compliant. It's compiled in aggregate based upon what the trends are showing and what kind of data we can glean from that. So what's important about that is not just... The, the element of understanding behavior and understanding that at an individualized practice level then rolled up into aggregate. But also what's important is that any piece of data in and of itself is interesting, but not necessarily overly useful. For example, right. we can look at public companies earnings reports and we can say, well, there's some growth rates. Right. Okay, but but until we but that's a, that's a sell in growth rate. Even for us, if MERS were to publish reports, we'd be publishing our revenues, which would be, hey, what did I sell into all these practices? Which doesn't tell us a whole lot about what people are choosing. It just tells us you know, how well were we able to create a deal and or an environment and or equation where that transaction took place and we put some product on the shelf. It starts to get a lot more interesting when we can say of all the products on the shelves, which ones are moving? Which ones are moving more frequently? Why, when, and how? And so when, when we can start doing that and measuring that. Now, again, the point of sale data alone doesn't tell us everything. Right. But if we triangulate it with the sell-in data and we triangulate it with surveys of provider or practitioner sentiment and we triangulate it with consumer sentiment and we mm-hmm. put all that together, you start to get a pretty good picture, maybe one of the better pictures that we've been able to have as an industry yeah. about what's going on, right? What's what's really going on? and And then you say to yourself, how do we use it? first way you tend to use it is to explain the past, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. because that helps you have confidence in it. Right. If, if I can triangulate the data points and apply it to times in the past and make sense in terms of explaining what actually occurred before, yeah, yeah. then I'm going to trust it a lot more when I start saying, well, how about we make some inferences about where we're going and maybe help our providers figure out how to capitalize on that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think I, as as many people know who have listened to this podcast, I'm I'm a bit of a data geek. In, later in my life, I I'm an English major and a, and a lawyer, but then I once I got into um, into business for myself and started learning how to track data, it it really becomes fascinating. One of the things we were talking about ahead of time is how it it can be misleading or not necessarily misleading, but but yeah. misleading on the one hand, or or at least inaccurate or or not telling the full picture. Unless you get the context and you get the triangulation, as you put it, um, and, and so talk a little bit more about how you do. I, I know you mentioned some provider surveys and things like that. I mean, what are you measuring this data against and this the, the, the point of sale data against to be able to to figure out what the what the context is?
0: Yeah. So when you when you when you're looking at at these data, you really can see sort of behaviors emerging what's happening what's fueling our market and of course we want to be very careful because our ultimate goal we're we're in our infancy with this by the way i should mention we've been we've been using this for the last couple of months more looking backward to try to figure out can we trust it now that we've gotten there now we want to start really using it looking forward and i'll tell you a few things that we're that we're seeing there but that's sort of where we are at in this process so what we what we really try to do is look at okay who, who is coming for which treatments? Okay. How frequently are they getting them? What kind? If, is there an algorithm that we can create from the data that helps providers and practitioners grow practices? If we knew the likelihood of someone doing something and in what order, and you and I saw a brand new patient today, yep. and we knew that if they were a toxin patient, for example, How long before we could get them on filler on average? Mm -hmm. What type of filler are they most likely to graduate to and and accept more readily to get them in there? What are the dollars associated with that level of growth? If I go from toxin alone to toxin plus filler to toxin plus filler plus energy-based device, what are the growth prospects within the the accounts or within the practitioners for that? Then you start helping them, helping our customers ladder up, what's the best way for me to grow? Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes that we're going to be the beneficiary of that right mers by coming in by having that data we and 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 instructing them hey here's some things you might want to consider we have an opportunity to talk to them about how our products may fit that growth pattern right but that's not true in all cases in some cases it's going to say listen that's patient based on what they need if i can get them on a filler is that going to be an an ha volumizing filler utility ha what is it going to be so we may not have that that's still because my lip filler Okay, we right. may not have that, and that still may be the best avenue for that practice to grow. We're still going to tell them about it. Yeah. And if that's what the triangulation says, it's incumbent on us, and we need to be responsible enough to show everybody how to grow. Everybody wins. This whole industry wins. Yeah. All competitors win, right? All practices win when we have a pro-growth strategy across our industry. Yeah. And patients that seek us, customers that place their trust in us are rewarded for that. When that happens, uh, everyone will do fine. all the returns will be good you know so we have to protect that and be careful that and that's why we this is proprietary i should mention alex it's not as though no one can access this data but the particular cut that we get and the way that we get it served up is proprietary to us so we really are in a in a nice position here to take an offer something across the industry that's going to help everybody it's not honestly not to be selfish it's to try to help everybody and yes where we can say look if the data shows by the way as it does that uh that the toxin we happen to sell is the fastest growing toxin among the key demographics like millennials and gen x and gen z and it does show that and it shows that for two years running um then mm-hmm. we're going to share that yeah but yeah. but if it but if it says that ha filler that we don't make is the best option to get your patient to move from a toxin we're going to share yeah. that too yeah. because because in the end it's about giving practices what they need to succeed and we all win when they win.
1: Yeah, I think um – what what I've i mentioned this many times, but what's so exciting about being a part of this industry is that really we're, you know, we're on the ground floor of what's being built. And you don't often get a chance to participate in industries as they are growing. And so really all of this information, this data that you're gathering right now, um, we're really kind of figuring out and learning as we go. Right. I mean, this isn't stuff that's been around. I mean, there's data, there's been sales data, there's been treatment data from the plastic surgery societies. We've released some data, all of the big co- the companies have data on kind of what they're doing and selling. But really like w- one of the big things that I always get asked is, 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 you know, what, like, what are, what do the patients want? What are they buying? Like, h- how are they buying it? Who's buying it? And so I, I would love to get into that. You, you mentioned, Millennials and Gen Z, um, in relation to your specific products, even. But at the same time, um, I, I just want to talk about that—that—that that, that what you found, and, and with the caveat that I understand that you're you're still gathering this information. This is still sure. the, at the at, at, at the beginning. So as we go, we'll we'll, we'll learn yeah. more and more. We found what, <clears throat> which I've found to be very interesting. The industry is growing like crazy, as as we all know. The most med spas are still going to be treating the 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 thirty five to fifty year old women typically. That's kind of thirty five to fifty five. That's really the that makes up the bulk of of patients, and it, and it always has. But what we found in, in in our data is that slowly but surely and consistently, there is there is substantial and measured growth in the millennial and even now the Gen Z um, environment, where every year that cohort grows a little bit and a little bit more. And so it becomes a little bit bigger of the overall pie. And, and I always find that very exciting for folks who are looking to get in the industry, because I say, you know, look, w- what's this industry going to look like in 10 years when the millennials actually need ZMN or whatever it is, right? You know, they're doing it preventively right now. I would love to get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I think you're. Well, I think the, the data points that you're suggesting are are spot on, at least from every confirmatory uh, data point that we have as well. Uh, I think the, the the shift and continued shift in the demographic makeup of the patient population that's fueling our business is good. We don't want to leave anybody out. So I'm a big proponent that you know we want to make sure that people understand it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter you know what demographic you fit. If uh, if there's something that you want to change that's going to help you feel more confident, and, and our industry can help with that, there's room under this tent for everybody. And yeah. and I think that you know we we do well to make that to make that a hallmark of what we all believe in, because uh, because there's a lot of people out there who could use some confidence. And if they choose this as a method, and it's their choice, then man, there's some amazing practitioners out there that can deliver those results for them. And I think confident people can change the world. And, that's right. And, I don't know the world I live in could use a little change. So, so I, so I see this as a whole big, whole big picture, a whole big opportunity for us. When we look at this other demographic that you mentioned, though, Gen Z and millennials. What's interesting about them? Not only are they contributing more and more a piece of the pie right. over time, year after year, but seventy uh, percent of millennials go to med spas to get their injections, and seventy four percent of Gen Z, based on these data, based on these point of sale data. They go to med spas to get their injection. Now, this Mm -hmm. kind of makes sense too. this front end of our curve, if you will. It's not necessarily thinking about surgery.
1: Right.
0: So they are more likely to visit something that says med spa that may feel a little more approachable to them. No offense to the surgical practice. That may may feel more approachable. Right. And so that's probably why they are doing that. But this is a great this is great to know if we're in the med spa business and we're thinking about that. These patients are seeking us. So are we doing enough in our local markets Mm -hmm. to remind them that we're here for them. That's part of our part of the initiative behind our take back beauty uh, campaign, beauty on your terms campaign. That that campaign is all about trying to say, if you're toxin curious (laughs) as these folks have been right, Mm -hmm. like Joe Jonas or Tiana Taylor, whoever we may use in the future, if you're toxin curious and toxin naive, here are people who were as well. They made their first choice. Yeah. Yes, they made their first choice on Zeeman. We aren't likely to put them out there if they hadn't. But however, <laughs> in full transparency, but however, uh, the fact that they made their first choice for Zeeman is an interesting fact. But what's more interesting is they also made their first choice to cross the threshold of an aesthetic practice, meaning a med spa mm-hmm. in these cases, and get that first treatment. Right. And that's good for everybody. That's the more people who feel empowered to go do that, the bigger and better our industry can be. So that's the components of that campaign. That's another thing we're trying to do to help fuel that, fuel that future growth, create that pent up demand and fuel that future growth for all of us to capitalize on and
1: capture. Yeah. I, you know, one of these days I'm going to go back and do some, I, I, and and commission a massive study about the, the, the growth and the mindset of the millennial and the Gen Z generation in, in med spots, because it really has been fascinating what that cohort has done to, to really jumpstart and, 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 and kind of give, it's almost like an afterburner, right? Like the jet was taken off anyway, and they were the afterburner that really got it going because, you know, the providers and most of, most of the patients were all, you know, Gen X, they're, they're, they're my age, but the younger generation with, with Instagram and now TikTok and 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 all of those things and you see you see Joe Jonas who's who's with your company and all the other ones who have just kind of um, gone out there and been open about what they're doing. I think it's it's really been fascinating because the impact has been has been profound and it's been huge and I, and I can only imagine what's going to happen in the next few years as it continues to grow.
0: I think it's I think it's really great. That's an important point that you're making that that we should. Punctuate, which is that in any given day, you and I could look at the news feed of our choice and we could see some new individual just now first coming forward talking about these aesthetic treatments. We may also see in any given day somebody that's had them in the past who now says, I think I just want to go on gracefully from here, and I'm not going to continue to have these treatments. So people are making choices, right? They're making choices, and they should make those choices as long as they're informed. But on the other hand, the front edge that's going to fuel the future of our market is a wave that wave continues to build yeah. the back end of that are people making good choices too but that that's not the majority it's not where the majority are residing so i think we're just beginning to see this future push because of a lot of things because of the lack of the stigma that's kind of gone away from some of these treatments because of the empowerment of this new generation and them doing real homework, real research and knowing what they want and demanding more of organizations, companies and providers demanding more. Like, what are you doing outside of just injecting me? That's yeah. making the world a better place. Like, this is all important stuff that that we should be embracing. And yeah. I I love that they're doing it. And if and the other thing I always like to look at is how much is the new generations informing generations like mine? They really are. They're changing in some ways. I mean, we're now all of us more ingredient conscious than we've been before, but Mm -hmm. that's, that, that's not my idea. Mm -hmm. You know, at 52, that wasn't my idea. Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. saw that coming as a trend that was being put in place by new generations. And I thought, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so now I'm more ingredient conscious as well. Well, that, that translates into what we inject as well, what we put in our bodies in any form of, of, of invasiveness, uh, including, including aesthetic products.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great point. The, um, the, uh, you know, the, the other thing that millennials, well, and, and Gen Z now that, that they do is they, because they're so outward focused with everything, right? Their lives on, on, on social media, you know, the, in, in many ways they're holding everybody accountable because they're, they're, they're publishing what happens to them as it happens, which is something that, 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 that I think none of us are really used to, by the way, I don't know if you can hear my dog is snoring in the background. Yeah. He got stage fright. I was trying to. I was trying to get him on. Happy I mean, to have helped him with his afternoon <laughs> nap. <laughs> um, so, um, but let's talk about you. You know what? Because I, 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 we could talk again. I'm, I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours about some of the different data points. Was um, well, one of the things that 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 was that we talked about with. Kind of not only with with folks like you and companies like you, but just as internally as we start to figure out what do, what products and and what does the industry need from an internal standpoint, we look at often the you know the patient journey. What's happening with the patient journey? What like what are they doing? And you've got to have. I assume you found some some pretty interesting stuff, um, and that you're learning some interesting stuff about what that is. What's your view on that? How important is it? And and how do folks find out? What to do so they can start capturing those people at the various points?
0: it's extremely it's extremely important for sure. Um, and some of the some of the information that you can find and prove out as you look at these data sources are what what I would say are pretty intuitive. And you hear it and you say, Yeah, okay, I would have gathered that. But at the same time, there's a lot of mixed messaging out there. And so sometimes it's just good to validate that what we think works actually works. You know, so for example, it won't it won't surprise any of us, but if you look at um, if you look at a, a general med spa now, and you just you just play the law of averages, right? About twenty percent of that the revenue in that med spa, in terms of the data that we're collecting at point of sale, is coming from about six percent of the patients. The top 20% of that, of that med spa's revenue is coming from about 6% of its patients. So it's important to dive in and say, well, let me make sure I know who they are. Let me, let me make sure that we're doing, I mean, it doesn't cost that much or take that much extra time to make sure that you've got good VIP level retention programs for those kind of patients. If in fact your practices make up, uh, sort of mirrors those averages, yeah. right? So that that's an interesting thing to consider. Maybe people haven't thought so deeply about that. The revenue, you know, they're just happy with how, how the books are looking or whatever, but it's important to really dive in and think about that. Secondarily, and this is another one that we'll all say, yep, I thought so. But secondarily, uh, if we start them on a toxin, right? Or, or we move them at any point to a filler, doesn't matter what kind of filler, by the way, mm-hmm. um, just we move them from toxin to filler, their spend with us doubles, Mm -hmm. at the med spa level in general okay if we then move them to an energy-based device Mm -hmm. their spend with us doubles again usually though most energy-based devices these days are not one treatment and done so Mm -hmm. that also increases the patient visits more so than when you've got just toxin and filler right if you look at the average patient visits in a med spa under toxin filler it's about three When you look at the average patient visits under toxin filler and energy based devices, moves to six again Mm -hmm. because some of these devices take multiple cycles. Right. Mm -hmm. So so what we have to remember is that upsell upsell opportunities and touch points with consumers are good. People need more connection in this world in general. And certainly when we want to build trust relationships that are lasting, they we need more time with them. And we're all stressed during our day. So the timing of any one visit isn't going to be an hour. And we're not going to be able to catch up on on a whole bunch of things about the family and the kids in college and the whole thing. We're going we're gonna to have to get down to it because there's other people waiting and we're running a business. Yes. However, if we can keep them coming back, the number of touch points that we have with them over time allow us to have a prolonged dialogue over time. And that's good for everybody. Yeah. That's good for building long-term trust relationships. So I think we've got to keep those things in mind because there's a, it almost argues for a blend of things again mm-hmm. people make choices about what they want to put in their practices and what they want to what they want to provide to their patients and that's fine but we've got to think about it from at least an algorithmic level to say are we doing enough to keep them coming back enough so we can have this level of dialogue that's going to give me more options to make other options available to them yeah and that becomes critical to grow in our business
1: yeah i i think it's a uh it's a really important point, and 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 look at you know just looking at at what we've talked about, um, just in the half an hour we've been talking, it's been a lot about industry growth and the number of folks who are coming into the market, and you know millennials and Gen Zs starting off with toxins, and what are they're doing? But the truth of the matter is, and I think what you're getting at, and what your data is getting at, is while that's all well and true. Um, What's really going to you know grow and fund your practice and, and 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 allow you to thrive is those patients coming back, not just the first time, but it's it's more than that. It's it's the first time, it's the second time, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and we don't spend enough time on that. Really, it's it's there's so much information on how you get new patients, how you, what you post on Instagram before and after is videos, but it's that it's that service level to get them to come back for another treatment and a treatment after that that's important.
0: Alex, it's such an important point because you're absolutely right that, that that Instagram becomes today, at least for this these generations that we're talking about, right? This 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 Gen Z, this millennial, this generation, Gen X to some degree as well. We are we are making some decisions, but depends sixty percent to eighty percent depending on what demographic we're really zeroing in on. But we're making a decision on the products we use or and the providers we go to mm-hmm. based on social media.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, based
0: on anything, else, based on social media. Yeah. And some of it has absolutely nothing to do with injecting anything. Like, in yeah. other words, some of these social media posts that people are attracted to are more about celebrity of what they see the individual doing than whether or not that person has is showcasing any credential to inject, I'm not yeah. saying they're not good injectors, I'm saying social media has so taken that over. Yeah. So we got to remember that because the point you made is where is where I want to pivot to here. We all think about that. Many practices think about that in terms of the attraction of new patients. But if that's where people are looking to get information, if you're not doing enough to keep them once you've attracted them, they will fall into somebody else's social media and say, well, that looks interesting, and they'll go check them out. So it becomes very important that we have these long-term retention strategies for our, for our patients, for the consumer. Keep them coming back. Loyalty programs, rewards programs, things you can offer in the practice that set the practice apart that may be information that they need. Occasional webinars for the patients to showcase new things that are cutting edge in aesthetics, whether or not they want to use them. Like these are all things to build long term trust relationships with a with a community of people who are less likely to leave when you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is that, I mean, that, that, that trust fact, we we talk about, you know, selling products, sales and aesthetic and sales is important, but really all sales is, is educating somebody that, that trusts you. Right. So you have to build that level of trust. Um, and building that level of trust is done through repetition and touch points, as you said, and, 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 and talking to folks more than once, um, doing more than just the Instagram dive. But it, what you said was interesting, though, because Instagram and in, in not just that, but websites, reviews, whatever it is, are so important because we, when I first got into this industry back in, you know, 2007 or so, one of the big things that plastic surgeons and derms were talking about was, was reviews, how it's important to get reviews and referrals, and word-of-mouth referral is the number one thing to do. Nowadays, though, even if you do a, a, a word-of-mouth referral, which is really the best type of referral you can get, this doctor is the one you need to go to, the The first thing that person you tell is they're going to go look at their social media page and their website, right? That's exactly right. So it's, it's all, it's all got to be part of this ecosystem and you've got to have all this other, you've got to have the, I, I'm curious, like in, in, in your time, cause you've been in the industry for a long time too. well what are some of the things like, what are some of the characteristics of the best med spas or practitioners? What are the things that they do to keep patients? If, if, if you can off the top of your head,
0: so not everybody uh, necessarily loves these kind of programs, but the membership programs yeah, have been pretty good for sure. And spas, right. I mean, you know, sure. you, you find these days you, you, you state something is good and you'll find just as many people going, ah, that you know, that's just where we are. But in general, I find they, they do keep people. I yeah. find when, when they, when you, so here's the, here's one key that I think differentiates really good businesses, med spa businesses mm-hmm. is that, and we've all got to be careful of this by the way, and I'll, I'll, raise my hand on this one too, but but. Let's make sure we're not spending the patient's money for them or deciding how much they're willing to spend. I see that mistake a lot. People come in and they're conditioned to think, well, here's the climate we're in. So I better offer this individual, you know, all these other options. Sometimes, you know, the the best sales are made in silence. Mm -hmm. You know, you lay out the proposition and you sit back and you wait for the other person to have a reaction. Most people don't like silence. So the seller keeps talking. And and when they keep talking, it talks other people out of things they might be inclined to do had we waited another five or 10 seconds. I know it sounds like five minutes when it's five seconds or feels like five minutes, but it's not. And and so I think for all of us, we got to remember that, especially with the economics that we see today, right? Because we may be conditioned, just like you and I were thinking about the radio or the news broadcast, we may be conditioned to think things are so bad. That everybody that we see that day in any given practice, mm-hmm. we, we we color that interaction with that mindset. And that may not be the mindset they approached us with. Right. So right. so we should treat each person as they are, right? Uniquely, and figure out what it is that we can do for them. Now, here's the other one. And again, people can really differentiate on this, but they gotta they gotta trust it. And I know it's hard to trust, but it's important to be a medical aesthetic provider, mm-hmm. not a service provider, right? Mm-hmm. You may think those things overlap, but the, my definition, you're providing a service, of course, but my definition of a service provider is I ask you for it and you give it to me. Mm-hmm. That's a service provider. There is no credentialing or credibility in that transaction. There is a transaction, make no mistake. There's a transaction that results in near-term dollars,
1: mm-hmm. but there
0: is not a thing about that where I've learned, left more educated or feel like I'm dealing with an expert. I
1: mm-hmm.
0: just simply feel like oh, I have no place to go and ask for it and will give it to me. Mm -hmm. i'm not sure that's going to build a long-term relationship there's a lot of places you can go and ask and get something so i think we've got to change that mentality and think about hey we're really talking about having a conversation i'm the expert if i'm playing the role of the provider in that part of the practitioner in that part of the discussion Mm -hmm. and i'm going to I'm not going to ask you what products you want. I'm going to ask you what what outcome you're looking for, what bothers you. And I'm going to tell you that in my experience, with my expertise, here's how we're going to get that for you, Mm -hmm. right? Here's how we're going to do that. And they're going to love that. And they're going to believe that they can't necessarily go anywhere else and get that same thing because you just credentialed your expertise. And when they love that result, they're going to know that result came because of you, not because of the product itself. Now, let's Mm -hmm. face it. We all think our products are the best. Just ask me. But however, <laughs> it needs to be in the right hands to do its thing, right? Yeah. And and the and the eyes and the hands of the practitioner is the art form. Right. The product right. is the brush, right. right? So we still need the artist in order to practice good aesthetics. So I think that's, a, I hope anybody listening to us could find encouragement there. I know it's hard if you're just starting out or however you're doing it, but you just, if you can keep those things in mind, they're coming to you. You're the expert. You have you have the, the, you're holding more cards in that equation. Don't give them all up and then figure out how to try to retain the patient. Retain them on your talent and your experience and your expertise. Share it with them in every interaction. And keep them coming back with enough frequency so that they begin to trust that and they don't dare go anywhere else to get the level of support. In fact, they're going to tell their friends, yeah. oh, you should go to my person because my person sits me down, educates me, and doesn't let me tell them what to use. They know what to use. Right. This is the right equation
1: yeah I, I, I love that and I think it's it's 100% correct. But the um, what we're really like looking at when you're talking about building a patient base is you're looking at that level of expertise like you said, which is why I always think two things. One, I like the fact that there is a barrier of entry to this industry, right? You have to have medical, Experience in some in some fashion, right? You can't be a nail salon and start doing this stuff. And a lot of folks are like, "Wow, well, but we're you know we're limiting ourselves." It's like, no, it's like that's good. That limits the amount of people that can do it. Number one, number two, we're seeing more and more, um, and w- which I think you, you 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 highlighted probably better than I ever could. This the that the idea that when folks come in for treatment, if you provide them with your your experience, your expertise as a provider. In 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 total, and you say, "Look, this is what you're asking for. Here's what I hear you're saying. Here's what we can do for you." Blah 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 blah. So it's not just the paintbrush itself; it's also, you know, the canvas and what and how you treat the paint. How, what the environment is. So all the things like skincare, right? All these things that come into it. And so if you start at the beginning and say, look, what we're going to do at first is some skincare, then we're going to do this, this, this. And you kind of go through this whole plan of treatment, including Xeomin, all the things that you guys have. That's how you get folks to keep coming back because you've got this whole treatment plan. Are, are you seeing that more and more too, folks starting to do that and catch on to that to that wave?
0: Absolutely. More and more with the treatment plan idea and, yeah. the, and the combinations of, of- things ladder together to create the results. Yes. And I think, and I think that's also right and good. Like, you know, any of us would love to believe that we've got that one magic bullet that just works perfectly, right? Solves anybody's needs. It's not true. Of course, you know, the comprehensive nature of what we do and the way these things all work together are, are, are the things where the real magic happens. And I think that, over time, we're going to find, I think, largely practitioners like are listening to us are going to be the ones that teach us and figure out even even greater combinations of items yeah. and order of items to really become the, 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 the outcomes of the future. I don't know that we're going to get – and I hope we do, and I'm, I'm not necessarily pessimistic on this, but I don't know that we're going to get – so many more new and novel products uh, from an injectable standpoint that are going to knock our socks off here. I mean, I I think, you know, you might get iterative change. I don't know that you're going to get this dramatic change. I think the future will be, how do you ladder all of the components that keep coming out and simplify that so that the toolbox is a little simpler to use and the order of it is known for the different types of patients that we see that give them long-term comprehensive results that they can rely on. I think that's going to be the way forward. And we, we should all be careful based on the point that you were making before about uh, the artist and the brush and how all that fits together. Neither one of those separately. We are to be really careful. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be good deals on these products. I'm not saying right. that they should right. be overly expensive. I don't believe that. But we cannot commoditize them either. I think that's a that's another caution. If we begin to commoditize the products we use, the next thing to be commoditized will be the services we provide. Right. The markets do not commoditize portions; they commoditize total. <laughs> so, yeah. so you've got to be very careful to keep this away from, you know, the 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 WalMarts and the you know whatever. This this cannot become that. Or yes, it will become a volume play, and that could be interesting. I tell you, you'll lose you'll lose the control and you'll lose the ability to be paid for talent. Yeah, because it'll just be you know it'll just be all encompassing and it'll whitewash.
1: Uh, anything that we have going today. I think such a, such a good point. Um, And something that I remember back in the day when I was first coming in and talking at like VCS and some of those, those meetings, um, that was a big point of topic was the commoditization of aesthetic medicine. And, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's actually materialized. I don't think that we are a commodity yet, but I think you're absolutely right. Like if it, you know, there's a saying, if, if you're not unique, you better be cheap, right? And it's got, so you've got, you know, if you want to have a unique product that is, that, that, that requires expertise and a certain level of knowledge, that's one thing. If it's just going to be Walmart or Costco, that's, that's something totally different. Um, we can't get to that space because the whole reason that we're here and I'm talking to you and that, you know, thousands of people are listening to this is because we're in an industry that's growing so fast and, and that hasn't happened. Um, is there it, just kind of in, in closing, we're, we're kind of getting up on time. What, yeah. wh- where do you see, where do you see this industry going? You've, you've talked about it a little bit as far as kind of laddering the treatments, which I think is very astute, but, but, like what, what? What's the future look like in in five, ten years from now? Where do you? I mean, are we all going to be perpetually twenty five years old? Or um, and, and and then that's kind of on a general level, and then and then specifically for MERS and and the products that you have. I mean, what what's your kind of role in all this? And and what are you looking to do in the future?
0: Yeah, such a good comprehensive closing <laughs> question and, and and there's and Should there's said that multiple at the beginning right it. <laughs> yeah. no it's perfect it's perfect there there's kind of multiple avenues to it i think so so the first piece is um one other piece we are seeing that i think informs our future a little bit is that right now if you look this year i'm talking now 2022 from january through the data goes through uh first week of november okay, mid-november mid-november if you look at that data point right now for the year on fillers filler category in general, yep. okay, you see that really there's no hyaluronic acid filler at point of sale. I want to be clear, at point of sale, that's beating the market. Every single HA filler is being used less than the market overall is Ooh. saying the growth should be. The market is really being propped up and fueled by growth in the biostimulator arenas those yep. fillers that can be not just a dermal filler but also a biostimulator yep. okay we have one of those but we're not the only ones that have one so that's contributing to this market being a little bigger and the ha's are not meeting that yet that doesn't mean ha is dead it doesn't mean anything like that in fact we know new ha products will be coming out uh, in, in the in the years ahead so i'm not suggesting that at all what i am suggesting is that there is a there is a slant now coming in the marketplace. I must assume that some of this is consumer fueled just as much as it's med spa fueled. Okay. Being comfortable offering these biostimulatory products that sort of pay you back a little more for the investment you make in them by generating or building collagen over time. And collagen is still one of the most Googled words in aesthetics. So people are still seeking it, they understand it. And now you have products that can give it to you. They can get they can be a dermal filler. They can be a biostimulator. And at the same time, um, they 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 can because they can play most of those roles, they can they can help patients develop over time, build their collagen. And what does that ultimately translate to? You know, maybe we can't say it in 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 some study that's been done, but it's skin quality right? When people, when you, build, when you and I build collagen, we have better skin quality. So when we think about, can we be 25 for life? Maybe not, but I think we can freeze time where it is for a while, for a long mm-hmm. while, actually. Uh, when we, when we use all of the tools in this industry that are available to us in conjunction with collagen generating biostimulatory, heat inducing injury causing elements that upon the healing process, stimulate massive production of collagen. I mean, Right. That's that's oversimplified what we're doing on so many levels here. In addition to then the contouring and the volumizing and the filling and the energy based stuff and all that. Right. And then we're protecting it with a good skincare care line uh, long term. If we're doing that, uh, I believe this study's not been done, by the way, but somebody should do it. And maybe <laughs> I'm talking to myself, but somebody should do it, which is which is I'm pretty sure if you look at patients or consumers on, on certain treatment regimens. And you follow those patients from the time they began a regimen up until, let's say they're on it for five or 10 years. And some practices have patients that deep. You could maybe go into the database and get before and afters. I'll bet you with the right combination of materials, those folks have an age visibly, visibly now, Right. So there is something to that. And Mm -hmm. I do think that we all want to look natural and we all want to look our age, but not older. (laughs) So, so I think there's a, there's an ability to freeze time. Uh, And I see it. I see it even now. I I meet people every day who are of an age group and they look absolutely amazing. And I think to myself, there's no way that you're that that's true, that you're that that you're that age that you said you were. But they are and they just look amazing. And so I think it can. Now, there there are others that we see who are not the billboards for aesthetics, right? Where you go, oh, my gosh, someone overfilled them. Someone did this or that. And again, we have to be careful because. People every day are making a decision about whether they want these treatments based on who they see walking around. So we have to be very careful, Right. right? But I think we are being careful. The future will be about the combination of these elements and the definition of regenerative medicine, how it ultimately gets defined, and then ultimately what tools are available under that and where that goes. Various various forms of peptides, various forms of exosomes, whatever, Mm -hmm. are all a makeup in some component of our five-year to 10-year, perhaps, if FDA weighs in, because they have to decide what, you know, how the exosome piece will shake out, right? Right. So I'm not pretending to know that. They'll, of course, weigh in on it, but it'll play a role, just how big or how small we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. But all those elements, I believe it's better when we can to have our hands and minds in it and try to evolve it somewhere that's good for everyone versus just wait for it to take on a life of its own and then figure out how to participate. I think we're at a stage now in the evolution of our industry where we should all get hands-on to the extent that is possible and figure out what these things can do so we know the best combinations to, to make it for the long haul so we can essentially freeze time for people that want that uh, mm-hmm. and offer them really natural results for a long, long time.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that 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 ties in also to what you were saying with respect to the younger generations that are coming in because they're very conscious of ingredients and what it's gonna do. And with the with the biostimulators as you're talking about and and um I believe it's Radius is what is, is, is the one that 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 merge yes. makes. Okay. Right so, on yes. And and um so that kind of thing that actually stimulates and generates your own body producing things is going to be very, very attractive to people. Just real quick. I mean, um, talk about, cause I, I, I know you've, you've done a lot of, of research and a lot of information on biostimulators. Uh, what does Radius do? What's the kind of, what's the, what's the whole, the, the reason behind biostimulators if there's folks riding in their car who may be looking to get in the industry and don't, don't know a whole lot about that.
0: Yeah. Radius is so versatile. I always think about it or I, I try to talk to people about it being one of the more versatile products that you have. Yeah. Um, we all can think about a, a, a line of HA filler, for example, which each part of that line is labeled by what it does, right? Perhaps there's a lip filler and a volumizer and whatever, whatever, right? But in Radiesse, you sort of have a dermal filler. And then if diluted or hyperdiluted to certain levels, you have potentially a biostimulator. And right. So that within that same product, you you, the artist, can do different things with it in order to make it work for you in, in that particular patient based on what they'd like. So a lot of the things you might do are off label. (laughs) So, so I can, but, 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 but in terms of the dermal filler, great for structure and contour. It's a calcium hydroxyl product. So when you have the calcium component, it's going to be good for structure, right? It's going to be good for contour jawline indication. Just now the first product, I know there'll be more coming, but it is the first uh, with a jaw, with an indication for jawline. Um, So, so that, so and 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 it just helps with that level of structure uh if you know your way around radius you can make it do a lot of other things i'm not saying it's right for every single patient in every single occasion i'm saying it's right for a lot more people than it gets used on today that's what i am saying and i feel pretty good about saying that so so you know but it's all about learning what it does and how to use it in its best uh capacity right and and so i think there's there's plenty of avenues to help with that one of the things that 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 MERS offers that that's that's kind of unique. Also is that we offer a group of medical affairs uh, folks that can come on unsolicited requests, of course, but if people have things that they want uh, to learn, Mm -hmm. this group can come by. And as long as there's published data to allow them to instruct on, Mm -hmm. they will be able to under the med affairs umbrella, they'll be able to talk to customers and help train them so that they can administer these treatments. So if people aren't comfortable with products, biostimulators or products like Radius, for example, and and they want to use it in both an on- or off-label capacity. They can't talk to our salespeople about that, but they can certainly submit that and get some MetaFair's assistance to include deployment all the way to their office to try to help them and educate them through it and even do some hands-on with them.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, uh, so... Patrick, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know, as president of MERS North America, you are extraordinarily busy, and your time is valuable. So taking the time to to chat with me and chat with us about um, about about MERS and the industry at large, I think has been has been very valuable. It's been fun. We probably could have talked for another couple hours. Um, I'll give you um, last word just on what um, um, you know. Anything you want to say, just as far as before we sign off, and 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 by the way, Mers will be at Medical Spa Show. You guys are always play a big role, so if you want to learn more about them, um, February first through fifth, come to come to the Win Las Vegas and come to the Medical Spa Show and learn about them. But Patrick, what's uh, last word to you?
0: Well, thank you, thank you for this. This has been this has been wonderful. I always enjoy talking uh, about our industry and about where we're going, and with with passionate partners uh, in terms of evolving all that together. I think, by the way, that is where we're going to get to the best places if we evolve it together, and if we um, really are partners with one another where it makes sense. Yeah. I understand it doesn't always make sense, but where it does make sense, and we can partner, we we love. Uh, AMSPA organization, they've done great for developing our industry, great for developing new businesses. And I think that the the sky's the limit here, uh, to where we're going. We'll, we'll ride out together, whatever this little, uh, a speed bump or hurdle is here on the, in the current climate, but I believe that we'll see recovery just around the bend. And, and I think that we'll get back to the sort of the growth rates that, that we can all enjoy. And, and if we, if we do that in conjunction and partnership with each other and then, then we all benefit and we all enjoy the ride, which is what it's yeah, all about.
1: I agree. Well said. Uh, appreciate your time and we'll talk to you soon. We'll have to have you back and, uh, and, and get some more of this data once you, once you gather some more. Okay.
0: Thank you. Love to do it. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Diersch was joined by Patrick Urban, president of MERS Aesthetic North America. If you're new with us, click on the subscribe button, then receive new content when it happens. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.